Hey, it's Cheeseheads in Chicagoland. <laughs> it's the best podcast about the Green Bay Packers that you can download on iTunes, now on Google Play. We're everywhere that you want to look. I'm Mike Fleischman. Along with me is my special guest, Ryan Wittry. Matt Mellemsetter has gone Hollywood. He's out in Los Angeles. We will get to talk to him eventually, but it's the offseason. Matt's got important stuff to do. So joining me today in the studio, it's in the Radio DePaul Sports Studio here downtown. It's Radio DePaul Sports General Manager Ryan Wittry. Hey, man. How are we doing? Man, I'm so I'm so good. I almost got started talking about Ronald Reagan, but I stopped myself before I could get more than two minutes in. Um, give the give the folks a little rundown of uh, of who you are and what you're doing. Kind of plug plug your stuff up top. Um, I'll start. I'll start. We're at uh, we're on Twitter at Cheese Chicagoland. We are on Facebook at Cheeseheads in Chicagoland. I'm on Twitter at MP Fleischman. So uh, where the heck can folks find you if they want to know more about all the smart things you're about to tell me? Well, I don't know about any smart things I'm going to tell you, but you can find me on the internet at Vote for Witchery on Twitter, on Instagram. Um, if you want a lot of tweets about grit. Classic Rock and uh, the 2008 Cubs, not the 2016 Cubs, just the 2008 Cubs that won 97 games, the National League Central, and were promptly swept by Manny Ramirez and the Los Angeles Dodgers in what is one of the most seminal moments of my childhood. Well, not really childhood. I was 11 at the time, but... Okay, I, uh, we I have this I have this age divide with the folks I have on this podcast. I'm like, man, I was 28. I own a house, <laughs> but um, yeah, you're um, you you are sort of a, a man obsessed with the uh, the the trappings of like middle aged adult life, and I am a middle aged adult who is <laughs> is almost trying to run away from them as fast as possible. So it's it's a it's a fun pairing, but uh, you've moved into. Um, Moved into the general manager position here at Radio DePaul Sports. So, yeah, first off, congratulations on that. Thank you. I know I, I just graduated. We had our, our fun our fun awards ceremony. And, yeah, you guys are going to be uh, part of a good team. you got a great studio down here to work with that I'm borrowing for the purposes <laughs> of this podcast right now. Um, I throw an icebreaker question out to, uh, to Mellum Setter before we start every segment. It's going to be easier this time because I've never had you on the show so I can just like pick the easiest question in the world. Who is your favorite Packer of all time? Who Of all time. Of all forever. You know what? I've got to go with Hmm. Is this going to be a, such a cliche answer, but I'm just going to go with the guy who made me a Packers fan in the first place, and that's Mr. Brett Favre. Oh, yeah, man. Um, for me, I grew up in the Chicagoland area. I, you know, I was a literal cheesehead in Chicagoland, and my brother, the, close, the one who's closest to me in age, was also a Packers fan. And so for me growing up, it was like, ooh, do I root for the team that has Brett Favre who's throwing for 300 yards or... Do I root for the team that has Craig Krenzel or Jonathan Quinn? And the answer was very clear to me that yeah. it should be Brett Favre. It's, it's not Krenzel. It's uh, although uh, although Kyle Orton, his stint with the Bears was fun. I'm yeah. an Orton guy. Oh yeah, uh, he's he's got that grit. If you're a oh, grit yes. man, oh, I'm absolutely a grit man. Um, yeah, Kyle Orton. Rex Grossman there for a couple of years, Caleb Haney. Um, those were some gritty bears right there. I cannot get over how bad of a quarterback Rex Grossman was. And to have him 
he you know he just sort of stapled himself to that amazing amazing defense that they had but i still i still just cannot fathom how bad rex grossman was at playing quarterback he had like he had exactly half the tools you need and none of them complemented each other like you can take a look at a guy of like well he's kind of quick he's got good pocket vision but he can't really throw it downfield and that'll work out if you're accurate but like grossman is not very quick he can wing it downfield, but he misses by 10 yards, yes. and he can't read a defense. I just his, The idea that he like hung around in the NFL as long as he did was, was purely amazing. But <laughs> that's, that's not my favorite Packer, but Favre is such a good choice. I mean, that was, he was my, my introduction to it as well. I was, you know, I was on my daddy's knee, and we were watching, uh, watching the game against the Buccaneers where he, he took over at quarterback for, for good. Against uh, Don Mikowski, correct? Yeah, for uh, for Don Mikowski, who was going to probably end up being a very B B plus to B minus starting quarterback in the NFL if it hadn't been for that injury. Yeah, and sorry, going back to the Rex Grossman thing, right? There's here's the reason why Musa Muhammad said that Chicago's where wide receivers go to die. Yeah, like. And still, still is like I mean, you know, Kevin White. I hope I hope you do well. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but and and you know, Trubisky throwing at you is a little bit better. But oh my goodness, like I've been I've been saying it on on the sports station here for so long. I've just been asking like who who in the skill positions other than you know, just recently have the Bears ever had that's going to win them games? It's God. We're talking about the Bears cheeseheads <laughs> in <laughs> Chicago land. Ah, oh, Favre, so good. I always pick Donald Driver though for my for uh, my favorite Packer. He was up there. He was up there too. He he bridged the uh, the Favre and Rogers eras, um, and it's a uh, it becomes a bit of a personal thing for me because he is like just through happenstance and coincidence he has managed to like meet several members of my immediate family and has been like very cool to them. And in just like very random situations, two of of like my my brother in law met him because my brother in law worked at a sporting goods store that Donald Driver would occasionally come into, and like just kind of got to know the guy that way. That's a odd story, and you know usually like random celebrity encounters do not go the way of like yeah we just sort of shot the s yeah for a, for a minute and we're you know he's cool. So that's uh yeah just the fact that like Donald Driver's like met multiple people that I know and like been cool to them that uh that puts it up there for me but oh god Favre we're going to get to Favre a little bit later we've got we've got a bunch of actual I've cobbled together Packers news not much has gone on right now we've had the uh the voluntary mini camps everything else we're we're waiting on right now you know, and we're not going to talk about the NBA draft or the the World Cup. I know you're a soccer man. Yes. I might give you a little bit of a moment at the end <laughs> to talk about soccer. So I've cobbled together a few a few Packers things here that we can run down. First thing is we learned from a Mike McCarthy press conference that the uh, the plan is to go running back by committee. Packers, of course, have a committee with which they can they can run the football. Ty Montgomery, Aaron Jones, Jamal Williams, ostensibly Devontae Mays exists as well, but he's on a, he's on the roster bubble right now. But you have three guys, and then you also have Aaron Ripkowski at fullback, 
who can all carry the ball. And I just I found myself wondering, like, is is running back by committee a smart move for any team? You've got all this talent, but I'm generally a guy who believes that knowing and understanding your role on the team is is helpful. So I was I found myself wondering what you thought about running back by committee in general and what it means for the Packers and if they have the right setup to be able to do that. There's two ways that you can go about it in the NFL. Either you can have a Le'Veon Bell, Ezekiel Elliott type running back, or you could have three guys who do the same thing as Ezekiel Elliott and Todd Gurley and all those guys combined. With the Packers, they don't have that great running back. They really haven't had that running back in a long time. I mean, for me growing up, it was Ryan Grant being the and Amon Green being the Packers running backs. Um, so really, I don't have a problem with them going with the three-headed monster of Williams, Jones, and Montgomery. They all bring different things to the table. And I think it for an opposing defense, it kind of makes it hard to game plan because you don't know who to prepare for. It's kind of like the New England Patriots who they find guys, they find the Jonas Grays of the world, just put them on the roster and they figure out what to do with them. You know, I would say collect talent, figure out what to do with it later on. Um, Montgomery, I think, is going to be taking most of the passes out of the backfield. Williams and Jones both showed a lot of talent. Really, Aaron Jones surprised a lot of people, including myself last season, with his performances. Andrew oh, Mo- I, I love Aaron Jones. Yeah. I think I think that of the running backs, he's the best one and that he's going to have the most success. To me, to me, my my push would be to make him number one going going into everything. And it's because he seems to have just he seems to be more savvy as a runner and and have that have that predictive ability to be to understand where where the holes are going to be and the acceleration to get to get to empty spots on the field. I look at Montgomery as a guy who I wonder if he would be more valuable as as a slot receiver option back kind of guy, someone that you can option in and out of the backfield and almost maybe not line up as a traditional running back because when it comes to taking carries, yeah, he you know, he holds on to the football, he doesn't fumble. If you make a hole, he's going to run through it. But a lot of the physical skills that he has, especially like with his height and his ability to catch the ball, is he wasted in the backfield? You know, that's an interesting point that you bring up there, Mike. And obviously he was drafted as a wide receiver out of Stanford a few years ago. You know, I think you're just trying to maximize everyone's potential. And right now the Packers have four guys who are pretty good pass-catching options. You have Mercedes Lewis now, Jimmy Graham. Uh, Devontae Adams and Randall Cobb. And, I mean, you have four guys right there. I don't know if there's really a space for a second slot receiver when you already have a guy like Geronimo Allison who just kind of came out of nowhere last season. So I do like keeping Montgomery in the backfield. I think already he is kind of like that flex. You know, he'll he'll take a majority of the snaps in the backfield, but he can flex flex him out to the slot, you know, based on uh, coverage, based on schemes, what have you. Um, So... Are you more asking should he be a slot guy first and a running back second? Yeah, that's I think that's that's my instinct when I watch him play because he you know he's he's not explosive the way you want a running back to be very Correct. very explosive. Yeah, you know, his his acceleration is much more gradual than you want and so for for a, he seems to me more of like a wide receiver screen 
guy and a guy that if if you sense a blitz coming and you have him in the slot, he's played running back enough to where you can like bring him back with an audible, you know, to pick up a blitz or something, bring him out of whatever you're running. Also have him like working on reverses and and that sort of thing. I just wonder if putting him a, a further away from the line of scrimmage limits what he brings because the closer you get him to the line of scrimmage, the quicker you can get him into the defensive secondary, which is like when when he's really impressive. It's not when he's trying to like break tackles of the front seven. It's when he gets into that second second level, which we didn't see a lot of last year because he was hurt and um, he's been hurt for a while. But when when he has been healthy, it's a uh, the the fun times I have watching him are when he all of a sudden like gets a cornerback in front of him and then you just see his eyes light up like oh we'll inflict pain on cor- cornerback now yeah so I, I I think putting him closer to the line of scrimmage and further out from your ta- your uh, tackle box just puts him into the the situations where he's more favorable and. I think right now the Packers have more offensive talent than they've had for the past couple of seasons. Um, certainly, three running backs, four pretty good options to throw to. And they still have guys like Geronimo Allison who can make plays every so often. And behind him, you've got guys like Jamon Moore and Michael Clark, who Moore is a, a draft pick that they're comparing to Devontae Adams, which means that it'll be three years before he does anything. <laughs> and a guy like Michael Clark, who... Uh, you know, is a towering giant who has done very little on the actual field, but like, you know, certainly is a specimen. Yeah, there's, it's it's a tough situation when you have too much talent. I mean, look at the Oklahoma City Thunder when Harden was on that squad along with Durant and Westbrook and and all these all these other guys. I mean, Serge Ibaka and like a young Stephen Adams. You're like, you can't. You, there's not enough snaps for everyone at a certain point, and you start to have to make like those harder decisions. That's true, and even farther down, they picked up Equinomia St. Brown, who, a great football name, I must say, uh, they picked him out of Notre Dame. He was, I think, a 7th round draft pick, or 6th or 7th round. Yeah, 6th. Um, After the punter. Yes. Which, to be fair to J.K. Scott, he is a very talented punter. I watched him a lot at Alabama. Um, but at any rate, with Equinomia St. Brown... He's another guy who I could see being like a Devontae Adams type. And I think now this is going to be a cliche for every athletic wide receiver that we see. You know, he's a, he's a project wide receiver. Like we sometimes hear a project quarterback, he's a project wide receiver. Yeah, there's, there's every, every receiver that the Packers drafted, whether it's St. Brown or Jamon Moore or the other guy, they all, the, the scouting report all reads exactly the same, which is tall, strong, raw. And a lot of the guys the Packers drafted on on defense and also for the offense read in very much the same way outside of your top two defensive secondary picks. And as long as we're talking about like draft and acquiring talent, you know the the Packers have a ton of it on the offensive side right now. They've got young guys on the defensive side. the The thought is that the Packers have got got better the national and the local media all all agree on that i'm totally in that yes. in that boat of like they they made the right calls they have a better roster than they do last year but outside of possibly the lions so does the rest of the nfc north mm-hmm. this is a a and you know leading that charge are the minnesota vikings who um, i despise but also grudgingly respect in that um you know mike zimmer is Clearly fantastic. 
whoever their GM is some sort of genius and they 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 are so stocked right now. We were talking before we went on probably a a team that the NF, the NFC is very deep but the Vikings have gotten better almost to an absurd degree. Yes. And like I said, if we mentioned this before the show and they had a very good season from Case Keenum last year. He finally broke out. But I think what they did in Kirk Cousins was they said, maybe Keenum could be great still, but we know what we can expect from Kirk Cousins. Well, they took their three-headed quarterback monster, and they they took... If you keep one of those guys, there's going to be that weight of expectations. Like if if uh, if Bridgewater makes his way back, if, if Case Keenum all of a sudden gets paid by the Vikings, you know, whoever... Whoever arises out of that situation, Sam Bradford, whoever arises out of that situation, if all of a sudden he goes back to looking like the marginal guy that they thought he was before, you know, before almost getting, you know, getting ruined by Philadelphia or almost getting ruined by his own knee exploding, like if any of them ever look fallible, then it's a matter of like, well, you made the wrong choice. And this is what I talk about when I talk about the Vikings management being so darn good is that they just cut them all yeah and went with an entirely different guy and went like you know if no matter what any of those three do like we picked up a guy who has already given him you know given at least two solid seasons like Kirk Cousins to me kind of like formed in the back of my mind like yeah I'm aware that he's out there in Washington but you know the the Redskins are the furthest thing away from my my interest in football but for for them to bring him in and give them all the money. It's so smart because you're not talking about any of those three dudes. Yeah. And um, Dalvin Cook. I love Dalvin Cook. Oh, my goodness. I loved him ever since he was at Florida State. Um, I was heartbroken when he got picked up by the Vikings. He got injured early on last season. So they made the NFC Championship game with Latavius Murray as their lead running back. And I think Mm -hmm. Dalvin Cook is going to be a far better running back this season than Latavius Murray was last year. And that's nothing against Latavius Murray. It's just I think Dalvin Cook is just that darn good. Yep. And uh, we did an NFC preview we, uh, episode of this show. We looked at the Vikings have re-signed their secondary and their linebacker core. The, uh, the front guys who are going to need more money are not re-signed yet. They're still hanging on on their uh, their existing deals. So they uh, the Vikings window is is kind of now. Yeah. Because that uh, as much as talent as they've got on offense, it's that's it's that disruptive defense defensive front that like gives them the situations that they need. And I mean, I've I've got the Vikings as my like pick for a twelve and four record and winning the NFC North. I've got the Packers at ten and six this year behind them but they have gotten absurdly better and we've already talked a bit about the bears the bears the bears have to be better yeah because there's no other option for them other than to be better they they've drafted well last year they've uh signed well this offseason they they have a, a coach that is finally finally not a retread of uh of like an of a bygone era um do you have any any predictions for the Bears? I've got them still not putting up a winning record this year. I think they're going to be right around 500 within a game of 500. So anywhere from seven and nine to nine and seven. I think for them the biggest thing is not having John Fox and Dow Loggins calling the offense. 
Vic Fangio is one of the best defensive coordinators in the game. And I think the ability to hold on to him after he was a candidate in the head coaching job, that's rare. And now you have a really good coaching staff with Matt Nagy, Mark Helfrich, and Matt, or Vic Fangio being your head coach and offensive defensive coordinators. That's really, really good. I think that's worth at least two wins right there for the Bears, not having John Fox. Um, He's just, oh, John Fox. I mean, I will, I'll never, I'll never let him live down challenging his way out of first and goal at the goal line. Yeah. I'll, I'll never let him live that down, but there's just the most perfect encapsulation of, of Fox as a coach in that, like, he just, his in-game decision-making with some of the, is Head-scratching. Just head-scratching. It's, you know, you look at, like, Andy Reid's inability to manage the clock in games, and then you look at, like, John Fox's complete inability to call the right play or to put out the right package or to just come out of the locker room at halftime with a better idea. Yeah. Like, I was at the Bears 49ers game last December, which was one of the worst games of football I've ever witnessed. That's the one of the, yeah, it's one of the worst things I've ever ever seen put on television. Yeah, if you've forgotten it or erased it from your memory since, you know, this is a Packers podcast and all, this was a game where Robbie Gold single-handedly beat the Bears with five field goals with and, with like relish. Yes. <laughs> like he celebrated that last one. Mm. I think he like ran over to the Bears yep. sideline. Yeah, he did. And good for him. Yeah, he was like shouting at the Bears sideline. <laughs> And the thing is, was the Bears, I think, had the lead, and they refused just to let the 49ers score so they can get the ball back. So they just let the 49ers drain the clock all the way down for Robbie Gold to hit the game-winning field goal. I mean, it was just bizarre. It was like seeing a train wreck in slow motion because you knew what was happening, and you were powerless to stop it. There's only one man that could stop it, and he just stood idly by, and that was John Fox. Yeah, it's 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 amazing. Like Fox, Trestman, some of these some of these guys that they've hired. I mean, like John Fox has a pedigree in the NFL, and yeah, that that Trestman certainly certainly didn't. Trestman was just. I'm still like baffled by yes. that. Like I'm less baffled by why you hired John Fox. It's like he's been around forever, and he's you know. He's a grit and gridiron kind of guy, and like that is that is to me like, you know, I'm, I'm trying to decide how much I'm going to prod you today. That to me is like one of the downfalls of like the grit culture is that the grit culture gets you guys like John Fox, the grit culture gets you guys like David Eckstein, um, you know, who like you wonder like is it truly that like the fact that they're just like they're that old school like you know, square-jawed fellow, or is it just like some people rise up because of circumstances and you misattributed it? I think Fox is one of the classic examples of like a guy who's who has had the success of a lot of people attributed to him. And I think with a lot of the, you know, quote-unquote gritty head coaches and, you know, you know, you're like, get after it. The problem with them is nowadays – you you burn your players out pretty darn quickly, and I think that's kind of what happened to Jim Harbaugh in San Francisco. Yeah, is that he was he just like was so Jim Harbaugh about everything <laughs> that it, after a while people were just like, I, I I don't need this. I don't want to be here. I don't want to deal with him anymore. Yeah, and I think that's why Jim Harbaugh is a better coach in college because. 
the longest you'll be there is four years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, quite agree. And you know, look at the guys who have had incredibly long head coaching tenures in the NFL right now. Mike McCarthy, who is is a level headed fellow. Uh, Bill Belichick, who might not be alive at this point. Uh, Bruce Arians out in Arizona till he he retired was was just solid as a rock and like even keeled as as you get. Marvin Ron, Lewis. Marvin Lewis, absolutely. Uh, Ron Rivera in uh, in in Carolina. They just. You know, these are not the guys who are like going to go red in the face and scream at you. Yeah, like these are guys who are who are getting it done with with consistency. And you know, Fox was never like a total scream at you kind of guy. But yeah, he wasn't Bill Cowher. But I think the era for guys like Bill Cowher has come and gone. And I think if you're going to go out and hire a guy like Bill Cowher, it's that's not a good idea. Players are smarter too. Like the players live in a bigger world. Mm-hmm. Than than they did before. You know, the the players understand. The players understand more these days because I think we all understand more these days. It's not a matter of like, oh, the players used to be dumb and now they're smart. It's that we, in general, as a culture, know more about the business of the NFL than we ever used to, and the business of of pro sports. And a lot of the sentimentality of it has fallen by the wayside as we've gone through like the modern era we've watched we've watched the labor disputes we've watched the uh, the the senate hearings about it and there are very few guys who do not who do not upright acknowledge that it's a business first anymore yeah and i don't want this to come across as grr millennials are ruining in football you know but football is changing and i think it's i'm not saying it's for the better for the worse but can't change fast enough for me yeah um, I think the faster we kind of get away from the Richie Incognito, you know, archetype of football players, you know, I think a big reason why people, millennials like myself especially, like the NBA is that, you know, people can talk about, you know, really weighty subjects, you, yeah. Know, you know. Yeah, we had that last issue here. Like, I, I'm so with you and it's, it's, um, you can, you can, you can speak speak your mind in the NBA without without fear of reprisal and without fear of like the fact that like there's a multi-billion dollar league above you trying to push you away from that and god Ryan why doesn't the NFL realize that that's smarter it's just i think they're trying to reach for an audience that is not the right audience to be reaching for like does the audience even exist i mean it's Ostensibly, they're trying to go after, you know, the baby boomer generation. But let's face it, millennials are going to take over the world one day. You know, that's just kind of the way it goes. And it's weird to me, and it's not not weird, that's perhaps the wrong wording there, but the NFL fought harder against, you know, concussion studies. And they tried sweeping a lot of domestic violence issues under the rug. But anthem? Oh no 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 no! We have to get rid of the anthem protests. Mm-hmm. Or sorry, I know. Yeah, uh, it, I, I know. I do it too. Yeah. Ten dollar ten dollar fine for both of us. I mentioned yeah. it earlier in the day. The uh, the police brutality protests. Yes. Are what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, the NFL has. I am amazed that they have not faced a reckoning. Yeah. I mean, we just we I just think came, it's coming. We just came up across the uh, the anniversary of Len Bias. Yeah. And his death, and that was a reckoning for the NBA, a league that was um, a widely a cocaine league. You know, before that, like, and there was a lot of drugs and cocaine in, in baseball as well, oh, and yeah. football, and everywhere. The NBA that was had, just the eighties. Yeah, that was yeah, that was the era that it was in. Um, 
but there was certainly like there was an open drug culture in pro sports and Len Bias was a moment of reckoning for the NBA and just as the uh, the steroid era was a major moment of reckoning for Major League Baseball um, players are committing suicide you know, after 10 years after their playing careers are over and they're doing it in a way to deliberately preserve their brains for the studies afterwards in the NFL how is that not reckoning yeah how are we not dealing with this it's a, it's, it's shocking to me as someone who I enjoy watching football. I love it. Same. Yeah. And it's, I don't know how, you know, it's become a struggle for me these past couple of years, you know, watching some of these players, you know, one of my favorite players at the University of Wisconsin, Chris Borland, retired from football because of the risk from concussions. Mm-hmm. And I did not play football as a kid. My mom's a, my mom's a nurse, and I think she realized pretty early on that A, I wasn't going to be a good football player, and B, it wasn't worth me getting jarred in the head, you know, a thousand times by the time I turned 21. And, you know, we see these players, Junior Seau, you mentioned on the last episode, Dave Duerson, um, back I think in like 2011, 2010, uh, shot himself. You know, we see these players and it's just like there's an air of invincibility when we see these guys play. And then when we when they retire and they fade from the public image, that air of invincibility kind of goes away. And I think that goes to what I was talking about with the NBA, that you know they're talking about you know these issues that affect them, whereas in the NFL there's this unwritten code that you have to be this superhero type architect or archetype, and you know, I think that's a big problem that's facing the NFL, and the, it's just been eroding these past couple of years. You can't tell me that the NFL today is stronger than it was ten years ago. It may it might be more profitable, but I don't think it's in a better position. No, and the bureauc the bureaucracy is more entrenched. The dollar figures are higher, but it's a thing we do in this society is that if it if it makes more dollars, it therefore is better. And I and the the product on the field, we're gonna get to this in our next next segment of all the product on the field changing. I kinda have a fun a fun way into that going back to the running back by committee question, but yeah, I, I do not know how the NFL has escaped a major public reckoning. And as it becomes more and more of a flashpoint, it becomes more and more reactionary. And when you know, when people when people are are confronted with things that challenge their viewpoints, it frequently makes them more entrenched instead yes. of more open. And I think we've seen a lot of the the sort of knee jerk support for the NFL emulate that that very reactionary mindset um we're going to take a break we've been rolling for about a half hour here uh the music's going to play and when we come back i'll remind you all of where you can find us on social media and we're going to talk a little bit about brett Favre and aaron Rodgers. we're going to talk about the defense and we're going to talk about fantasy football and its impact on the nfl it's cheeseheads in chicagoland that's ryan witchery i'm mike fleischman we'll be back in just a minute
It's Cheeseheads in Chicagoland. Second half of today's show. It's episode six. We are on a whole bunch of social media. I'm Mike Fleischman, your regular Cheesehead host. Matt Mellumsetter is out in Los Angeles. We're going to get him remotely on the podcast once we figure out technology. Technology is my my favorite thing to deal with in the world. I've got special guest Ryan Wittry with me today in the beautiful Radio DePaul Sports Studios. Cheeseheads in Chicagoland is on Twitter, at Cheesecagoland. Follow us there. We are on Facebook. It's the Cheeseheads in Chicagoland Facebook group. Uh, follow us on on Facebook, but while Facebook still exists, uh, we're not on Instagram because you can't take pictures of a podcast. I am on Twitter at MP Fleischman. I'm also on Instagram at MP Fleischman. Normal co-host Matt Mellumsetter, Hollywood Matt Mellumsetter, as we call him now. He is at Mellumsetter on uh, on Twitter. So check him out there. He's also on Instagram. I think he's at the same thing. I forget. Um, and uh, Ryan Witchery, you are at Vote for Witchery on yes. the Twitter and on the Instagram. And on the Instagram, why? Why should we vote for Witchery? Uh, because when I was 15, when I made that Twitter account, uh, I really liked Napoleon Dynamite. Okay, and that was kind of the genesis of at Vote for Witchery. All right, but like. You have enthusiastically thrown yourself into like write-in campaigns for various student government things <laughs> at uh, at DePaul here. Um, so does like does your zeal for being a write-in candidate actually stem from a Twitter handle or help me out? <laughs> <laughs> oh, why? Yeah, help like, me out with what? My zeal for yeah, uh, getting, like, having my like, name in the paper. Yeah, you're, yeah, yeah. That's. Uh, is it really just about getting your name in the paper? Like you don't actually want to be the president of the student government association. I'm assuming. I mean, it's one of those things. Like I wouldn't turn down the opportunity to do so, <laughs> but I kind of went into it knowing already that I wasn't going to win. So it was just mostly like a, hey, you know, let's just you know have a good time, screw around for a couple of hours, you know, have a fake campaign for government, um, and I guess the whole at both for which we Twitter handle really paid off for that one. Yeah, it did. I I thought they were connected. No, like I always just thought that there was just a part of your personality that's like, yeah, like when when you know. 20 years from now, when you're like 40 years old, I'm just going to see you like running a write-in campaign for like mayor or governor on, you know, on, on, on some, some similarly insane platform. Speaking of similarly insane platforms, the, uh, all those articles about like when the student government association imploded and caught fire, we're going to go a little inside baseball just for a minute here. All those articles like just assumed the great like social cachet and influence that the the Facebook groups for meme posting yes. have around DePaul and like Alex Bednar as like a uh, as a mover and a shaker and influencer at DePaul. Yeah, Alex is a meme lord. He's a meme lord. Uh, that's a that's a actual like position nowadays. And that was that was some certain things in my time here at, at college made me feel old, and that was one of them of like Wait, he just runs a Facebook group. Well, but that means like 3,000 people know who he is. Oh, crap. Yeah, like I have people coming. I had pe- for weeks afterwards, I had people coming up to me like, Benar Witchery 2018. It's like, thank you, <laughs> concerned citizen. <Yeah. laughs> you, you know, I, I worked out that like whole like fake politician, like, you know, thumbs up, you know. Hey. V for victory. Um, you know, I had that whole like, 
you know, I tried, I tried doing the Kennedy comb over. It didn't really work if out. Some, if someone asks you a question, like, don't just give the answer. Restate the question. Like, oh, you asked me why I think that student government is currently on fire. Well, it's currently on fire. Yeah. I was a I was a PA announcer at the last. I worked for the Chicago Breeze, and I, they let me do the PA announcer. And essentially, like, I'm just I tried to do it as somewhere between a politician and a professional wrestler. In that, when I was announcing nonpartisan stuff, I did it as the politician of like, "Welcome, one and all, to the Chicago Breeze versus the Flint Monarchs here at the gym at Hales Franciscan High School." And then when the Chicago Breeze did something good, I could just like, like go into that that deeper register, Kila Beatem. Like I'm listening, I'm listening to it back, going like, "Oh, I'm an idiot." <laughs> It's a lot of fun, though. If if you in here and like people out there do be a PA announcer at some point, if if you get the chance, like if someone offers you that microphone, take it. My freshman year of high school, I was the PA announcer for our for one of our baseball teams. Good, and like I would um, make nicknames for our own players, despite the fact that no one asked for it, to the point where they asked me to stop. Because they thought I was insulting our players, so that is my alone experience being a PA announcer. Yeah, yeah, trying to try and try and pick it back up. I mean, like I, I got my first taste of it, and you know, Hami, Hami, and I both work work out there. So uh, look out, folks out there. Uh, Hami Arain is a guy you'll probably hear him on Cheeseheads in Chicagoland before too long. <laughs> we have gone completely inside baseball. I want to pull it back to outside football. Um, Get back to the Green Bay Packers because this is Cheeseheads in Chicagoland, the best podcast about the Green Bay Packers. That's Mike Fleischman here. It's Ryan Witchery over there. We talked about the running back by committee, and one of the things I was surprised about when I read the articles about the Packers who are apparently going in that direction was that there was a series of articles that were all about the impact that that was going to have on fantasy football as if that matters. (laughs) And I've just – I have – I have noticed for a while that fantasy football is really impacting the game on the field. I think that some of the rule changes that are happening to allow for more scoring and more open offense are actually predicated around scoring more points and generating more interest in fantasy football. Um, Am I crazy to think that that's happening? No, I don't think so at all. I think if you're Mike McCarthy, you really don't care about Oh, good Lord, no. You know, Mike McCarthy doesn't really look like a guy who trusts the internet. Um... And that's true for, like, Bill Belichick. A lot of the older football coaches around the league, which is why it's so weird to see a guy like Sean McVay actually, like, not just be an old, curmudgeonly-looking white guy. Um, And, you know, I I do think the sport is changing. And for one thing, for casual viewers, I think watching a really wide-open offensive game it's a lot more interesting than seeing a 9-6 to six game, which is why it's so weird to think like, oh, wow, that was a high-scoring game back in 1943. Yeah, and it's lar- that's why I find it largely benign is that uh, opening up the game to me is like is sensible whether you're doing it to attract fantasy uh, players or you're doing it just to make a better product. I think those two things go hand-in-hand. Hand. But I, I certainly think that a lot of the – there's been – you know, fantasy is very profitable for the NFL. Any yes. major fantasy league pays a licensing fee to the NFL in order to use their players and their teams and their likenesses and all that. So increased in interest in it serves 
serves the NFL. I just I wonder I wonder if we are forgetting which one's the cart and which one's the horse when like I could find four articles about like whether or not the running back by committee was good for fantasy players. Like who cares? <laughs> to quote Brett Favre. It's I mean, part of it is that we both have the Packers and we'll always watch the Packers. If I have a fantasy football team and the Packers aren't playing at that time, and let's say I have Drew Brees going against the Panthers, now that's a good game on his face, but I'm more willing to watch a Saints-Panthers game, or let's even make it a more mundane matchup. Let's say it's like Chargers-Jets. You know, Ooh, riveting. Yeah. Um, this, yeah. Not a good game unless you're a Chargers or a Jets fan, yeah. or if you have Phillip Rivers and you want to see him throw 400 yards against the Jets because the Jets stink. Um, you know, you have a vested interest then, and that's why you have channels like the Red Zone or you know NFL Network Red Zone because that takes you right into the most exciting plays. That takes you right into the highest scoring opportunities. Yeah, it, it takes you right into the fantasy stuff. It's it's amazing what that has what that has done. It's made everyone more sports literate in general, and that all of a sudden people start knowing that players like for me it was always like Madden football. Yeah, that that fed my ability to know who was on every roster. And since I've I've fallen off playing almost all video games for a while now, and that's just uh, it's not a fault to video games, love them, but eh, don't don't really do it anymore. So like my ability to know who's on every roster and every NBA death chart has has fallen off a bit since I don't I don't do that anymore. Maybe I got to take up fantasy football. Yeah, I actually have a similar problem in that I played so much MLB 2K5 when I was about eight years old that my mind is just trapped with all these random baseball players from that time era. Like, every, every time I see Julius Chessin pitch for the Brewers, I think of a pitcher for the Blue Jays, Gustavo Chessin, who was impressively mediocre for, like, the five seasons he pitched. But it's just, like, trapped in my head. Like, why do I remember who Kirk Zarlus was? There's no reason to remember those names. It's just they're just trapped in my psyche. And it's just like... That's why I use Twitter, just to kind of like, hello, well, remember these guys? Remember Reed Johnson? <laughs> it's just Deadspin's like, let's remember some guys yeah. section. Yeah, that's, I mean, I love that section because I'm old now. So, like, I do remember those guys. Like, yes, I'd like to remember them with you. Yeah. Um, I mean, as long as we're talking about video games, um, the uh, the Madden 99 overall ratings were were mentioned. We got Rodgers, Antonio Brown, and, and Aaron Donald. And... I wanted to talk a bit about Aaron Rodgers because I, I, I haven't played Madden in a little while. I dusted off Madden 09 for, um, a bit because I'm underemployed currently, and I could not remember how to make my hands do the right things to make it go. But like when you're talking about like 99 rated overall players, like I get that argument, and like I think Rodgers, Antonio Brown, and Aaron Donald are the right are the right choices there. Aaron Donald is is a wrecking ball, but good grief. Is there just, you know, this is Cheeseheads in Chicagoland. We're partisans, but like, good grief. Aaron Rodgers. It's 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 like watching Picasso paint at times. Yeah. It's so good. And if not for the injuries or the coaching mistakes or the lack of personnel, I mean, we'd I think Aaron Rodgers would definitely be 
in that conversation for the greatest of all time. I think he is oh, in he that is conversation. Yeah. yeah, he is now, but I think a lot of people are like, well, you know, he only has one Super Bowl win. He only has one Super Bowl appearance. You know, if he's so great, why couldn't he do more? And that's the same check against Brett Favre. But just watching Aaron Rodgers play the game of football, like you said, is watching a masterpiece. Because he's so good. He makes the rest of the players around him so much better. That he's done a lot of this without a great running game. Apart from like 2014 Eddie Lacy, he really hasn't had a great running back at any point in his time in Green Bay. He had Jordy Nelson forever. He had Donald Driver forever. He had Jermichael Finley. But none of those guys are you know, your top tier. None of those guys are Randy Moss, Wes Welker. Yeah, none of those are top three wide receivers. I mean, they're... I, the talent level to me has always been a defensive thing in that you've, you've had, when the Packers won the Super Bowl, they had a great defense. Charles Woodson, of course. Yeah. Al Harris, Aaron Campman. I mean, the, Tremont Williams had that big interception against yeah. uh, Philadelphia. Yeah. That's, and that to me is what makes the Vikings so terrifying this year. It's, it's what makes, um, it what makes, it's what makes all the, like the real weapon teams, so good like yeah the falcons have a good offense but it's their side to side defense and it's how aggressively they play on defense that i think is going to make make the difference and with the packers it's the exact same thing of like aaron rodgers is is of course fantastic and yeah he might he might probably and he's 33 this year i think we've all like bought into like this aaron rodgers is old narrative a bit before we needed to yeah like, drew Brees is old Tom Brady is Tom old. Brady is old. Aaron Rodgers is thirty three, and you know if thirty three is old, then what am I? Good lord! Uh, but to me, to me, like the defense is the biggest thing. Mike Patton is here now, and I, I just kind of wrote down down bullet points of like my question is what 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 was the issue with the defense because. I mean, certainly, like bringing in Patton as opposed to Dom Capers is is an upgrade. Everyone seems to think it is. I think it is for sure. I, I grew very frustrated with what Capers was go, was doing scheme wise, but I just wanted to talk a little bit about like scheme versus players because like with a better scheme, does the defense that was on the field the last two seasons produce different results? Because I don't know if it does. I think it does. Now the personnel wasn't gr- the personnel weren't great, but I think Dom Capers' schemes just left the Packers very vulnerable. That they because they didn't have great personnel to kind of make up for the schematic flaws in the Packers' defense. Um, I think that was a big problem for them, and that we saw that every year in the playoffs. The Aaron Rodgers was good enough to get them to the playoffs. It was good enough to get them deep in the ball games, but when the Packers needed to stop, quite frankly, Dom Capers and the personnel on the defense weren't good enough to get the job done. And that's why they got torched against the Falcons um, in the 20... I guess 2017 NFC Championship game. Um, you know, the year that the Falcons, of course, blew a 28-3 lead in the Super Bowl. Yeah, that was cool. That was, um, that was a good game. Uh, I, I definitely... I see what you mean, but yet at the same time, like we've seen two seasons now where the Packers have run out of quarterback of cornerbacks, mm-hmm. and, and and guys in the safety. Ha ha! Clinton Dix has been the only guy out there who has like been worth a darn, and it's impacted his reputation in the league. In that, like he 
that my diagnosis with uh, Clinton Dix is that he's had to start playing so deep and so safe to keep plays in front of him that it took away a lot of his natural aggressiveness towards towards the football. And then he was just coming from too far away since he had uh, Herb Waters and and uh, and McKinton Dorland and and uh, and Dimitri Goodson and Quentin Rollins in front of him instead of the guys that they wanted in front of him, which weren't like frankly much better and i wonder like you replace dom capers with mike petton gave him and give him three practice squad cornerbacks what does he do better like if if you give him like clay matthews with a bad hamstring and a bad arm like how does mike petton make that unit better i understand how he makes the current unit better because they just drafted a bunch of guys but like the old unit i don't see how it improves I just think it felt like every game Capers would make one really bad play call, and it would cost the Packers dearly. And I think Dom Capers just got to the point where the NFL had evolved past his point that you know opposing offensive coordinators knew what to expect from Dom Capers, knew that he wasn't going to be able to stop them, perhaps because of personnel or the or the scheme. You know, it just got to a point where Dick LeBeau, great sure. coach, but the game passed him by at a certain point. Yeah, and, and cro- crossing routes are, are one of those areas where, like, it's another one of those things where the Packers seem to get eternally torched on crossing routes and by quarterbacks who can extend plays by an extra two seconds. And you know, part of it's like, yeah, you don't have a good enough scheme and in that, like, scrambling quarterbacks and crossing routes and those, like, those option plays and coaching into wide receivers the ability to like naturally and instinctively look back to the quarterback know where you're going this is all fairly fairly new to the NFL in in that like as it's becoming like a widely accepted thing that's going to happen like is lack you know is like Dom Capers is a part of that but like Nick Perry being slow is, is as much a part of that it's like you know, which is why like Oren Burks coming in is like a linebacker who's fast, you know a uh, you know a guy a guy who isn't like completely sold out to the pass rush like like Clay Matthews usually is, like some someone who is is more capable of dealing with the realities of the modern NFL, which kind of brings me around to like I Petten's a great Petten's a great idea because he sim- simplifies the game and puts young players in one on one matchups, but. I think Brian Gutkunst taking over for Ted Thompson is going to be what we see in 10 years as being the real, like, the thing that kept the Packers relevant Yeah. in that you have to you have to draft the right athletes for the modern NFL in addition to, like, having the right coaches who understand it. Yeah, and to your point about running out of defensive backs, it's just the Packers would draft a guy, wait for him to develop, he'd have one or two good years, and then we wouldn't resign him. And then, you know, Sam Shields leaves, Tremont Williams leaves, Micah Hyde leaves. And it's just like, what are you left with? Ladarius Gunter. Yep. Sam Shields will, you know, I feel I feel the worst about Shields because, you know, clearly like head injuries, like he needs to Yeah, you know, I I hope he I you know, if he wants to come back into the NFL, I hope he gets his chance, but at the same time I'm kinda of hoping that like you know, more hoping that he just is okay <laughs> in, yeah. in general. Like, that one's more unfortunate. Yeah, because he had the makings of of what was going to be a very good cornerback 
in the league. But yeah, cornerback is cornerback is a position where you that second contract is is so important for yes. a lot of these guys. Like they the way that the way that like you've seen Earl Thomas and and uh, and and Richard Sherman and and just come into their own as they've gone along. Like I'm, I, I would never, I would never think like, oh yeah, give the guy another like four years, but like, give him two or three. Like if you can get, if you can get someone like Morgan Burnett, like that burned me when they let him walk. Yeah, because if you can bring that guy back, and Morgan Burnett did not get a lot of money. No, I, and that's that to me is like he was. Oh, he was. He would have cost five million dollars. Like that's easy. Or uh, Casey Hayward. Yeah, Hayward, Hayward as well. At these, yeah, the always having young cornerbacks combined with that lack of lateral speed at linebacker to me has been like, yeah, we can be mad at Dom Capers all we want, but like, you now Dom Capers, like Mike Pettin doesn't make Nick Perry faster. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't make McKinton Dorland less McKinton Dorland. You know, he doesn't make he doesn't make Kentrell Bryce not Kentrell Bryce. Yeah, not Kentrell Bryce. And and so and I'm very curious to see this year, like like Patton's a great decision, but but the good era is going to be really, really interesting. Let's see what else I got on my uh on my list here. Oh yeah, the last thing. Um this was a fun a fun thing from, from this year. So the uh the Packers are moving into a situation where like we can't call Aaron Rodgers old yet because he's 33. He's five years younger than I am, so he's not old. He's a young, young man, a youthful, spry, spry, spry man. But uh, Aaron Rodgers currently has Deshaun Kaiser as his backup, and it is a situation that has at least shades of the Brett Favre having Aaron Rodgers as his backup. And there was a, a story around that time where where Favre famously and saltily said, um, "There's nothing in my contract that says I have to prepare Aaron Rodgers to do anything." I'm paraphrasing him a little bit, and uh, yeah, I was we got on him for that at the time. But Rodgers has recently talked about like, "Yeah, now I understand that," and I just found the timing of that a little bit interesting because Rodgers saying that right now, like it's. I think that has a lot to do with the fact that yeah, now there is a a young quarterback with a lot of potential sitting behind him, and and Rodgers currently in that in that place where he wants the all the money from Green Bay, and he should get it, I think. But it's it's an interesting spot to be in where you've got where you've got a young guy who a lot of people think could be great in the NFL behind a quarterback who is already one of the greatest that the NFL has ever seen. I don't think Aaron Rodgers has a responsibility to like make Deshaun Kaiser good. I think Deshaun Kaiser has a responsibility to to watch Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, and it's not as though that the Packers haven't had other, you know, young quarterbacks under Aaron Rodgers. You know, they had Graham Harrell or B.J. Coleman or Brett Hundley, and Matt Flynn, Matt Flynn, um, who managed to get his big second contract for torching the Detroit Lions. Um, I think. For the immediate future, for the next two seasons at least, Aaron Rodgers, I don't think, has much to worry about with the Sean Kaiser. I don't think he ever has anything. I think Kaiser is gone before before Rodgers is is off the Packers roster personally, but I don't I don't think that other teams are gonna be able to keep from offering Kaiser a bunch of money, especially if he gets 
if he gets some looks in the regular season in the next two two years or so. And I think the big thing with Brett Favre was Aaron Rodgers was one of the top two quarterbacks in that draft. It was Alex Smith and Aaron Rodgers. And Rodgers was fortuitously dropped to, to the Packers' spot, like 24-something. Um, and... Kaiser, everyone kind of agreed. Yeah, Deshaun Kaiser's got you know the physical talents. He's got this and that, but everyone knew that he needed another year in college. That he was not ready for the NFL. And the Cleveland Browns, being the Cleveland Browns, of course, you know, made him a, a week one starter and put him completely out of his element. Deshaun Kaiser should not have been in that situation. And I think for these next couple of years, it's okay. We've got Kaiser, you know, we got to put him in a little bit of a bubble, you know, get that confidence back up, you know, maybe give him, you know, if the Packers clinch a playoff spot by week 17, give him a start, give him some snaps, you know, these next two years are huge for Deshaun Kaiser because he really has to learn a system, you know, really build himself up. Mike McCarthy loves to develop quarterbacks, and that's why the Packers keep drafting all these young quarterbacks is, you know, he wants to, you know, have you know hands-on experience with these guys? You know, Brett Hundley was his little was his baby for a few years, and now that baby is Deshaun Kaiser. Yeah, um, that'd be an interesting question. And you, you hate to imagine a world in which the Packers have to go with a long-term backup quarterback again this year. But if uh, if if Aaron Rodgers is out for the season early, do you, do you put Hundley or Kaiser in? You know, we saw what Hundley could do last year which admittedly wasn't much. Um, I'd be interested to see what Kaiser does. Outside of being in Cleveland, I think he has the potential of being at least an okay starting quarterback. But I think if Rodgers misses serious time again this year, I think you kind of have to chalk this up as the lost season again for the Packers because of the improvements that other teams in this division have made, especially the Vikings and the Bears. Yeah, and we we cut that segment short because of because of the free flowing nature of cheeseheads in Chicagoland. But we didn't touch on the uh, the Lions. But uh, the Lions, there's nothing to touch yeah, on. There. There's nothing to touch on. So we just touched on the Lions. I just want to admit that I I didn't talk about the Lions there when we talked about the rich getting richer in the NFC North, and that the Detroit Lions are still the Detroit Lions. And uh, there's a very real possibility that the Detroit Lions have the worst record in the NFC. Bless their hearts. Yeah, uh, Brendan Walper, if you're listening. God bless you. Ah, enjoy your summer, Mr. Welper. Congratulations on graduating. And uh, yeah, he's he's more of a basketball man anyway. Yeah. He's got the Pistons to worry about. He's, I mean, the entire city of Detroit, like their sports scene has just collapsed. Ugh. Like the Tigers are bad. The Lions are bad. The Red Wings are bad. The Pistons are the Pistons. I saw the only baseball game I saw last year was a White Sox Tigers game. I'm sorry to that, hear that. Uh, well, I went, I went with like a Detroit contingent of people that we know here in Chicago. So I, it was, but you know the White Sox, the White Sox Tigers. That was like the most anonymous baseball game I've ever been to, and that with the Tigers is like, who in the heck are these guys? Yeah, like Mikey Manuk. Or, I I think he's a player on the Tigers now. It could just be like a figment of my imagination. Um. I mean, Cabrera was still there. Yeah. I mean, I got to see you know one of the greats play. That was that was nice. But beyond that, it's just like, who in the hell are these people? Um, yeah, and the Detroit Pistons. I mean, 
Blake Griffin? Are we kidding me? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and cheeseheads in Chicago land. This is the section where I just taunt Brendan Welper into tweeting at me. Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> um, if you haven't taunted Brendan Welper on Twitter, definitely do so. I think yeah, he's at Brendan Welper. Remember, he has two E's in his name. Brendan Welper. Yes. Well, actually, he has four E's. He has four E's. Buy. Yeah. It's like I tell people, like you know, at Malum Setter, it's uh, no double consonants. Every vowel is an E, and you'll be able to spell Melum Setter if you just keep that in mind. Uh, my last name is a nightmare because it's got German uh, German consonant and vowel construction in it. The E before the I and the SCH combination in there. I'm sorry. Um, but, yeah, you can look me up. I just changed my Twitter uh, my Twitter profile pic to uh, to one I took last night. I am, I'm feeling so attractive these days. I'm just putting this in the end of the podcast. Um, we're gonna get out of here. It's uh, we're gonna try and get Matt Malumsetter in on remote from uh, from Hollywood, California, sometime pretty soon. I do want to let you all know that when the when the NFL starts ramping up, when we get to preseason, when we get to the regular season, Cheeseheads in Chicagoland is absolutely going to be a weekly going concern, in which we break down every game. Quarter by quarter, performance by performance, we're going to look really deep into it. Right now, we are uh, we're just having some fun. I'm t- I mean, I'm talking to some people on on the podcast. Melum Setter's out making a film, but uh, when we get going, Cheeseheads in Chicagoland is going to be a a week by week, every Tuesday. Packers recap, preview of the next game, in-depth kind of thing. So uh, make sure to stay with us. We're on iTunes. We're on Google Play. We are on Twitter at CheeseCagoLand. Um, thank you, everyone who's listened so far. We, we are getting we're getting more listens than I thought we were going to. And I appreciate all y'all who are out there. Tell your friends about us if you have friends who, uh, who like the Packers. Tell your friends. Uh, who don't like the Packers about us so that they can listen and be angry. Maybe we can uh, win them over. Um, thank you so much for uh, for following along with us so far. Thank you, Ryan Wittry. Um, pl- uh, plug something. Tell people uh, tell people what to do and uh, where to find find your content. Well, you can find most of my content right here on Radio DePaul Sports. Uh, the student voice here, DePaul Blue Demons. If you haven't already, follow us on Twitter at RDP Sports. I'm looking forward to a great year next year at the station. You know, Mike, I know you graduated. Thank you for your service to the station. You're welcome. But, but you know, it's just you know, I'm expecting a great year next year. Uh, hopefully we expand in the podcast department. Um, you know, really, you know, hit us up on Twitter if you're listening to this but you're not a member of Radio DePaul Sports and you'd like to be. Reach out to me. Um, reach out to any of my fellow managers. Uh, that's Tim Sevens, Matt Mellumsetter, um, your co-host. Oh, yeah, they promoted him. Yeah, your co-host, now our program director, also a boss to Hadwala, and perhaps the hardest working man at the station, and Mr. Evan Sully. So we have a great group of managers, a great staff here, Radio DePaul Sports. So... Um, yeah, thanks for having me on the show here today. Absolutely, Ryan. Appreciate uh, appreciate you coming on. Uh, stick with us. We're going to be back um, probably probably not next week. It's probably going to be another two-week gap as the NFL is not really a thing that's happening. But uh, we'll try and track down Mac Mellumsetter. Matt Mellumsetter. We'll, we'll get some other guests in here. Um, so thank you all very much for listening. I'm Mike Fleischman. That's Ryan Wittry. It's Cheeseheads in Chicagoland. Goodbye. Goodbye.